episode 124 of the Winning Six podcast, official podcast of BehindTheClass.com. I'm your host, site expert, Adam McGee, and joining me this week is contributor on site, Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. You're going to think this is a joke, everyone, because we joke about Jordan's appearance regularly on the podcast. But Jordan is legitimately wearing sunglasses indoors uh, in a room that it looks like he has a light on as well. It's not even that there's some natural light coming in. There's some natural light coming in, but the the blinds are drawn because I would be be blinded by the light. Well, not with the sunglasses on, but... Well, exactly. This is the stage we have reached where you've all built Jordan up so, so much that his ego now includes wearing sunglasses indoors. Mm-hmm. What's next, Jordan? I'm thinking about a bandana. Where did, I don't know, maybe a neck? No, that's more of an ascot. That's what I look if I wore a bandana just, inside. I look like an ascot. I just want to clarify you do have a <laughs> neck because it did sound like you were thinking of getting a neck. Oh! Or, or do you? I do have a neck, or yes. Do you? I have the, people the proper know. anatomy. <laughs> Moving on from Jordan's identity, which you may all be better off for it remaining a secret. Trust me, these sunglasses are a lot to take. They're good ones too. They're jet black. I've had. So, <clears throat> are we now? Are we now boasting about the sunglasses? No, it just, it was a big thing for me because I've I've had sunglasses in the past where they don't. I mean, they they are called sunglasses, but they don't block the sun. The you know prime objective of wearing sunglasses. But these ones, I mean, these are cool as a cucumber, midnight blue. Yeah, I'm going to try my best not to be distracted for the next however long we go, because as effective as they are for Jordan, they're also they're also a prop. This is a danger. We're going to have kind of... Are we all props in life? Jordan looking <laughs> over his shades whenever he's got a, a point to make. I'm not entirely convinced that there isn't another pair of sunglasses underneath these sunglasses. No, okay, okay, we're we're just we're just the one pair, but that's enough sunglasses talk for now. That's only what some of you. <laughs> Till next week. <laughs> that's only what some of you are here for. Not all of you. Um, we do know some of you are here for sunglasses talk. So tune in next week for more. But for the rest of you, it's time to get back to talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. We started last week our position by position kind of look back through the season. We've been doing player by player, 
uh, retrospective articles on site for the last while. They're almost wrapped up, but we've got some players still to break down in podcast form. And this week we're going to the shooting guard position, although we're going to be a little bit... We're going to take some liberties with how we classify position, just for the sake of you know, making the podcast work. So for this week, we're going to have Rashad Vaughn, undoubtedly a shooting guard. Well, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> I can't believe it. We don't live up that. to the title. Um, we have Tony Snell, who played 80 games regular season at shooting guard. So, I mean, he's, he's the shooting guard. And we're also going to put Chris Middleton into the mix, who traditionally throughout his career has been a shooting guard, although with Jabari Parker, Jabari Parker injured upon his return, he played mostly small forward. Who should we start with? Well, let me grab my hats. Oh, no. He's actually right. gone to grab hats. I mean, this is... I have... Three slips of paper with the correct names that we're going to go over. Let's today. make it quick. Let's make it quick. Reaching hand into hat now. Oh, would you look at that? We're going with Tony Snell first. Okay, so somewhat fittingly, we'll start out with the man who spent the year really as the book's uh, first choice shooting guard, at least in terms of availability. Tony Snell arrived in Milwaukee about a week before the season started, maybe even a little less, in exchange for Michael Carter-Williams. Cult hero, popular figure among all books fans, Michael Carter-Williams. I think the hope for all of us at the time, if we were to cast our mind back, was... Middleton had just got injured. The Bucks needed someone to come in and just be a proxy. Basically, they just wanted some sort of Middleton ringer to come in, fill that spot in the starting lineup, and allow the team to function pretty effectively. They got that from Tony Snell, and they probably got a little bit more than they expected. Does that point me asking you, did Tony Snell exceed expectations this year? So I'll ask, how much did Tony Snell exceed your expectations by? I think there were certain, like, givens that we were expecting back then. I, I'm trying to read my mind, say, from October, uh, whenever that trade was completed. But, uh, I mean, we thought he would be, this is not really a compliment to phrase it this way, but a low rent, you know, not a high usage guy, just stand up by the three point line and shoot and hope for the best. I mean, he was already a, a you know, a respectable three point shooter uh, before this season. But as we saw, I mean, literally from, I felt like January 1st on, he was on, on fire. I mean, he did not have a great start shooting the ball, but it, he <laughs> more than made up for it as the season went on. So, you know, he is, it's a very simplified role for what he was doing, but, I mean, it's it's kind of similar to, like, Jason Terry in my mind where these guys are very – just stand in the corner or stand behind the three-point line, uh, you know, give solid defense. And he obviously 
I know I've seen this a lot, and I've you know over the course of the season, it was hard not to, especially with Middleton coming back too. You you notice oh he's taking the tougher assignments on you know you guard like the Demar Derozan's, the you know Jimmy Butler's that type of you know shooting guard, and he did fairly well. And obviously Russell Westbrook, one of his kind of premier defensive plays this season was that you know that uh, home game against the Thunder, and he kind of. Stripped the ball away from Westbrook, if I remember correctly. So you know, he was one of two, it was not a one of two occasions when Giannis decided to single him out post game. Yes, that is right. Yeah, the single out, the uh, no, never. Um, but yeah, I would say if I would have to give a percent of how far he exceeded, let's go a hundred seventy two percent. I really don't know what your expectations were for Tony Snell then. Well, I would say they if 100 pretty... is like you exceed expectations 100% and then some, I give him the old extra 72%. Okay, the the old extra 72%. We've all been there. This was the lowest usage year of Tony Snell's career. He had his best shooting year in terms of 40.6% from three-point range. His first year, over 40% from three, 45.5% from from the field. And although it wasn't a career high, I mean, 81% from the free throw line was particularly impressive. A lot of the rest of his numbers, though, actually would have fallen below. I mean, he had a career low in assists for 36. He was the second lowest he's ever been in rebounds per 36. I find it interesting considering that, I mean, okay, this year's team, if he had been around, was a little bit different. Some of the Bulls teams Tony Snell had been on were, I mean, solid, good in some cases. Uh, If we go back to probably early in his career when Tibbs was still there, the fact that this was his lowest usage year, it's really interesting to me. And I think he just kind of, I don't know whether he would have needed that kind of explained to him or he would need to be persuaded but he really did just become be the guy everyone forgets about and we'll find you for your open shot and it worked all season long usage rate of 12.1 percent that is incredibly low that usage rate comes in as the second lowest on the team and we consider this was a guy who I mean, would play meaningful minutes, would be on the floor roughly 30 minutes a game. He'd play 29.2 minutes per game in the regular season. Only Jason Terry had a lower usage rate at 9.8. So, I mean, guys like John Henson when he was in the game, guys like Steve Novak when he was around. RIP. They all had higher usage rates. Someone like Michael Beasley... uh, the favorite of one corner of books Twitter. I was going to say for some reason, I understand the reason, although I don't understand how. Never mind. But 24.8% usage rate for Beasley. So although you expect that, to think that Snell contributed as well as he did, as often as he did, with less than half the usage rate of Michael Beasley. That's very, very impressive. The shooting, 
are we buying into it? Obviously, we've got all these questions that we'll probably get to when we finish up on Snell of the contract and where do the books go from here? Do the books bring him back? What sort of offer is he going to field? All of that should kind of be tied into do you believe he is a 40% shooter? He may not be that good. He has shot 36.1 last year, 37.1 the year before. Are they kind of close enough and steady enough that you're buying that this is real, this isn't just some sort of out-of-the-blue contract bump? Yeah, I mean, there is going to be some regression. I mean, he had such a, as I said before, he had such a surge, like, at, you know, the turn of the calendar year that, you know, <laughs> it's. I feel like it's hard to replicate that way, and there's going to be more bumps along the way. And like you said, he's very durable. He had the second most highest minutes total of anybody on the team, you know, trailing Giannis. So he was fairly. I mean, when you're fairly injury free of a season, you're going to have you know as good of a sh- shooting season as he did this year. Say if he has a couple nagging injuries next year. Is that going to affect his shooting uh, efficiencies or his efficiency? Probably, <laughs> you know. So, but again, like you said, the past two seasons with the Bulls before he came to the Bucks, I mean, it's a diff- It's obviously a difference, and for a team like the Bucks, they need, you know, any, like that type of shooting. They relied on so many kind of these guys like Jason Terry, Mirza, maybe not to a degree, but like these. Even maybe Spencer Hawes, as crazy as it sounds when he came, like these guys just to play off the ball and, you know, when the ball comes to you, just throw it up and hopefully it goes in. Um, so I do I do buy it to a degree. I think, I think 40 is probably the high end of what he can achieve, but it's certainly, rep, you know, I think he can replicate it if he does have a very, uh, you know, injury-free season like he did this year. But that is hard to tell at this point obviously so but yeah i definitely buy it yeah and i guess to round out that shooting 60.3 percent true shooting percentage second on the team only to spencer hawes um interesting snell had an assist uh, percentage of 5.8 percent so well i guess one in 16 possessions that snell played Ended up in a Snell, or Snell was involved, they ended up with a Snell assist. So Snell assist, pretty rare. Lowest mark on the team. I guess that says a lot about who he was as well, and he's not a selfish player, but the books were really only using him as, you know, he's the guy, he's, he's the extra weapon. Longer term, if he was to come back, what do you do with Snell in terms of his role? We can say, okay... While uncertainty remains over Jabari and he's out injured, he probably remains a starter like we saw at the end of this season. But, like, could some of Snell's production this year, we talked about him shooting 40% the career year, maybe that's not down to the contract, but that's down to the increased role he had, the minutes, the starting kind of contribution. Is he the kind of guy who... The books can bring in off the bench and expect him to make something happen. I think that's that's one thing that I, I think he's a, like a perfect bench wing. But I'm also aware of the money that he's likely going to end up fetching this summer. 
and it starts to worry me a little bit about longer term. If that's his role and you and he's a guy who has an assist percentage of five point eight, are there some real problems with that? What do you look for Snell to do longer term in Milwaukee? Um, honestly, I don't think anything much more. Uh, we we saw the off the dribble experiments go. They're very hit or miss. I felt like over the course of the year. Um, I, I honestly, I just view him as like a Danny Green type. I think that's to expect anything more. And obviously, the the higher we have no idea what he could, you know, fetch for this summer. And kind of our collective, the barometer. I think I feel like it's you know. Eight digits we're talking about possibly in play here Definitely. for him this summer. One hundred percent. I mean, Danny Green. That's very similar. He's not. What as he, good. He's not as good as Danny Green. I'm not saying he isn't, but I'm just saying he is that kind of player type that. But all you have to do is more than adding skills. Like what I'm getting at in that question is, Danny Green is great. Like if I'm the Spurs, I have no problem paying Danny Green that for his role in the team because he's an important cog of the starting unit. But if he becomes your bench player, I, I'm not quite as convinced on just how important or how valuable that player is to your second unit. It gives you great depth. But say, for example, Jabari does come back and makes a full recovery and gets some luck with injuries, and two years from now the books are in contention, and they have a Tony Snell coming off the bench at $12 million a year or something we're going to be looking and saying there's better ways to use that 12 million in terms of bench production. That's kind of where you'd be like, okay, can we get like a kind of instant offense, creates his own offense point guard. You know what I mean? Or maybe more of a, more of a high volume shooter because I guess there's ways around it. Look, if you're smart with your rotations, well then if things are staggered, you can maybe get away with it, and there's always someone to help him out in that regard. I just kind of longer term wonder what his role is going to be, and then how all of that clicks together. Yeah, I mean, it's a legitimate worry, but at this point in time, I and mean, we're still... I I just feel like it's hard to really bank on what... Jabari is that that's not me factoring him out of the plan but obviously you know he's targeting a return at the all-star break next year it's going to take he's not going to be himself for next year and maybe a little bit beyond that who knows and then obviously we have the this draft coming up we have free agency and then you're going to probably have to factor in next year's draft I mean it's I, I feel like it's it's going to be like a kind of uh, you know, figure it out. I mean, obviously, it ha- it's going to have to be this way. You know, figure everything or sign him up this year if you if you really want him back and all that stuff, and then we'll figure out his role later if it has to come to that because things are still so fluid in that regard of what is the ideal starting lineup of the of the future. You know what I mean? Like we we can pencil in obviously Giannis, Middleton, Thon at this point. Snell, you could probably, I mean, I feel like he's definitely in there for, I don't, I don't know, no, actually. Look, they've, I don't know. They've been 
John Hammond was very honest about uh, we want him back. We plan on having him back. That's the... I think Jason Kidd said something similar. That's out there. I mean, that's pretty obvious at this point. But that's kind of fine until the Nets slap a four-year, 60 million offer sheet down the table, and then you have to match it. Sean's making his mark. I I have to be... Like, to, to be clear, I'm pro bringing back Tony Snell. I just... I kind when you of, sign, when you sign a deal of say four years, forty four million dollars, I know that's a popular. I know. I think you, look. I think you're gonna have to whatever it is. Like, well, this, I know, but I'm just saying, like expectations come of that. It's not even that. That that isn't what worries me. It's just what worries me is where you fill out your roster and get what all the other things you need. I think you you you'd be in a place where you need to be like. You need to be like the Spurs, where, okay, things didn't go their way in game one against the Warriors there, but down the stretch they have Jonathan Simmons, Kyle Anderson, uh, DeJounte Murray all doing things. So that's two first-round picks, two lower kind of first-round picks, and a guy they picked up off the scrap heap who come in and can be real meaningful contributors. I think that's what you need to have a an actual second unit if you're doing something like paying Snell all that money. I don't... I'm not saying it's beyond the books. The books have proven to be pretty good at drafting, but they need to be very, very on top of that, and they need to be kind of scouring the D-League and using their own team for any kind of guy who just could be that little bit of something extra off the bench. I think it's all fine in theory. I think the bigger thing with Snell and Monroe is... Not to go back to something we talked about last week, or I got up on my on my soapbox about last week, but this idea of going after free agents that isn't actually possible, like bringing back Snell and Monroe is probably the best the books can look for. That's not to do with who wants to come here. That's not to do with ambition. That's like Snell, for example, the books hold his rights. I mean, they don't have the cap space that people seem to think they have. It's not as simple as don't pay Tony Snell 44 million and Greg Monroe, 60 million, pay that to someone else. It just doesn't work like that. So, there my only concerns is, these are going to be big commitments if they if they come about that way this summer, and then I just worry about the overall shape. It's not as much about Tony Snell as it is about what Tony Snell's contract will be, or what, what effect his contract will have is probably a better way of putting it. And I don't say that in thinking he's Miles Plumley. It's just everything has tightened up, you know, so you've got to be really careful with every move. And it's a tricky one. I, I don't think they have a way out of it, but I just think it means they've got to really kind of nail every move between now and then. It's like next year, for example, they're going to lose their second round pick. I was only looking at future picks earlier. That one's going to go to Sacramento or Philly, which that must be back in Luke and Paul move day. What? Yeah, we've we I I know I think we've had this conversation away from the podcast before, where we had this realization, um, but they owe whoever like to the more favorable one. They don't really have incoming picks. We've got three top fifty five protected, uh, from 
Or uh, we go. Dallas. Dallas, Washington, and Denver. <laughs> uh, Wait, what What was the Denver one from? Roy Hibbert. Oh, the uh, Hibbert trade, yeah. I mean, maybe the Washington one, which I think is 2019. Maybe the Wizards could be a top five team. And that could, but really, like, who cares? I, I just, there's this kind of thing that I, I guess surrounds the Snell contract more and is something that probably won't get talked about as much because everyone will put it into assessing Snell, the player, and what Snell brings. But just committing that money is going to mean, committing that money to that kind of player is going to mean you're going to have to find the other things you'd generally need to run a bench unit in kind of different or... I guess, more challenging avenues. We shall see. We shall see what the books get out of it. What is your price on Tony Snell? What's the most you... Like, is there a number that you're walking away from, a realistic number that someone offers, and you go, okay, well, we let him go? I, 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 I've already... I can already see the jokes being had come November... Late November, early December. But I think I'd go four years, 44. Is the most you'd pay him? Yeah. <laughs> I think you're not getting t- Tony Snell back, to be honest. I don't know. I don't know. I, I really don't think you're getting Tony Snell back for that. Four years, 44 million. That's a nice little fantasy. Um, although I don't think it's going to be this severe, it's worth noting that Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer mentioned Alan Crabb money in terms of what Snell could possibly get, which would be, I think, four years, 74 million. Yeah, but we're... T- uh, that's that's not happening. That's, really, that's not happening at all. I think four years, 56 million is the kind of thing that someone's going to throw at it. Some mm-hmm. team that has really nothing to gain right now um, but he the thing about like Alan uh, an Alan Crab like deal. I, I I don't think it'll go that high. I'm just using because that is something that has specifically been put out there as what one NBA writer thinks it could reach. I don't believe that because Alan Crab is more of a scorer, so you're gonna pay more. Yeah, for that idea. But I mean, I I don't see what what did. I know this is the Lakers, but what did the Lakers pay Lou all day? Oh, that was like four years, 72. Jeez. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think four years, 56 is the kind of number that's going to be right in play. I would very happily take four years, 44 million. We'll move on. Um, I'm going to take this out of the hands of the hat and I'm going to pick who will go to next and we'll do Rashad Vaughn to get Rashad Vaughn out of the way but that's not fair <laughs> yes Jordan people really love Rashad Vaughn they still do have you got any idea of why that is He's Mr. Showtime. <laughs> but any idea of look, really I look at his that. numbers right now. I'm sorry. I want you to guess 
How many free throw attempts? This is a very random question. How many free throw attempts did Rashad Vaughn attempt last year? Five. You already saw it. It's right in front of me. I have all the numbers here. This is You're being a party pooper. That was a party being pooper. Being a podcast host is what I'm doing. Pod, you're being a pod pooper. Oh, Five like free throw attempts in a year for a score. <laughs> a score. That's what he was drafted for. Yeah. I need you to give me the the real positives because look, anyone who listens knows the difficulties I have with Vaughn. Um a lot of people seem to feel very, very differently about it though. So what is it that I should be clinging to and being like, Oh well at least there's I feel like you're gonna say defense now and I still kind of think that's a reach. So you need to sell me a little on this. I know you're not exactly the leader of <laughs> the Vaughn train. But yeah. sell me just a little bit, Jordan. You're you're not quite where I am on Vaughn, so tell me why I should be a little little bit less kind of severe in my Vaughn takes. Well, I just think the reason why people rally around a Rashad Vaughn type figure. He's a fun loving dude. He seems like a, a, a joy to hang out around. Plus two, he's he's what he's still twenty? Twenty one? Twenty? Yeah, whatever you twenty. Maybe nearly twenty one now, but he probably still twenty. He's got a he's got a fun loving, you know uh <laughs> We're talk. We're literally talking about a professional basketball team, and people are like, "Oh, let's keep the fun-loving twenty-year-old around." In what other line of work would people be like, "Yeah, you know, that fun-loving twenty-year-old is really bad at this job, but at least he's a fun-loving twenty-year-old." Dave and Buster's. I don't even know if Dave and Buster's would be quite like that, Jordan. You need some fun and love, fun-loving. It, 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 just, it comes to to a breaking point for everyone. I mean, I Vaughn has really been awful. Mm-hmm. He only played 458 minutes this year. Which is not so great. He did have some injuries, but it's not like there are major injuries. He he got much less playing time than he got as a rookie. That's in kind of a big way because the books got better but I also think we shouldn't underestimate that it makes you a little bit better just by not having Rashad Vaughn on the court uh, he can get some nice weak side blocks he could sometimes do some things in the passing lane he's not this lockdown defender that everyone wants to make him out to be as if he's going to become just such a weapon because of his defense I don't know why everyone is so happy and prepared to let this fly. That This is a guy who's shooting 32.7% from the field for two seasons. 30.3% from three-point range. The Bucks have the 17th overall pick again this year. If they come back with a guy like this, people will be hunting for heads. And somehow everyone's like, oh, Vaughn's young, let's give him a chance. He's young, he's fun-loving, he's a Dave and Buster's type. I just, there's nothing, there's nothing here. There's nothing here, I don't see anything in his attitude. 
Being phone loving. He's poor man now. Remember, I have to. I have to re. Restate uh, that. Yeah, he is poor man now. He he is the, the complete opposite of Norman Pell. He really if you, I just realized if way. I if I sucked the end, like if I didn't like enunciate it, it just sounds like a poor man's owl. I mean, poor no. man owl. Also, somewhat apt. Definitely, yeah. not a, definitely not a rich man's owl. No. I would feel more comfortable. The other way in that we kept hearing, and uh, we probably didn't get a sense of this before, but we got it in the playoffs, obviously, in that kind of, whatever it was, 10-day span, where we we also lived in Raptors world. Where we were regular visitors to Jurassic Park. But you, you heard how the players talked about Norman Powell, a guy who's in the league the same length of time, um, about how hard he works the way he kind of carries himself in the locker room, all of these things. Vaughn doesn't do that. He doesn't, you don't hear. Was it, didn't uh, James Herbert famously say that the workout that he, Norman Powell impressed yeah. with in Toronto, was the person he was going against was just, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, James Herbert actually, this is James Herbert of CBS actually said, it's about the worst he's ever seen someone get kind of done over in a workout was just the way in which Norman Pell tore Rashad Vaughn apart in that workout. He has like a, a weird narrative of these workouts because obviously this year, remember he had that, he sprained his ankle after going on one-on-one with yeah, Milton. He, he only got selected because of his, his incredibly hot workout with the books. They should have brought Norman Pell along to the same workout and then maybe we'd have been spared some stuff. Maybe he just needs, you know, a couple of weights around him and during games. Maybe he needs, you know, the these, you know, these, uh, you know, these, you know, these, uh, you know, these step up the Pilates. <laughs> yeah, that's the answer. If only Rashad Vaughn would do some Pilates. As you can tell, I'm making this the absurd because it's, because you have nothing not, to say. We did this last yeah. week. This is we we said when Jordan just gets into talking absolute nonsense. He has nothing positive to say about something. He doesn't like being negative. So he, he has taken the mantle, though, of this Johnny O'Brien like. He's worse, much worse. Johnny O'Brien was not that good. Exactly. And but he, uh, he when there's a, at a, a point way. where you could put if, Johnny like, O'Brien on the court, if Rashad Vaughn got waived tomorrow, I don't think he's ending up in another team. Well, I mean, the D League team. Yeah, but he's not going to work his way. He's not going to have games like Johnny O'Brien did. Uh, not to get into Johnny O'Brien. Did Johnny O'Brien have games? Yeah. I guess he did. He really yeah, well, did. Okay, let's, With multiple let's be teams. honest. He had games in Denver. He had games in Charlotte. He had mega games in the D-League to get those chances again. Like, that's... we can. I don't want to get down this road where it really sounds like we're being absurd or we're talking about Johnny O'Brien. But Johnny O'Brien is a great example of someone who... Okay, he doesn't have obvious talent. Vaughn is probably a more talented player. Johnny O'Brien works and works and works. We've all seen the workout video, the Johnny <laughs> O'Brien summer workout video. But seriously, he worked his way back into the league after the books cut him. Damien Inglis, where's he gone? That's what I feel Vaughn is. Like, that's really disappointing. It's kind of costly. You'll get over this one, but it's the kind of mistake they could never afford to have again. 
And yet, I don't, this kind of sounds a little bit harsh, but I feel like he's the anomaly in their recent drafting. You look at the kind Johnny of... Johnny O'Brien? No, Rashad Vaughn. Rashad Vaughn is not the same personality type as the other guys they've been drafting in recent... Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely the... Um... Yeah, anomaly in the Hammond track record. Well, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, but at the same no, time, just, he still signed off track on track record. Thing. I mean, if we're to talk about that pick, we know there's all the other stuff wrapped up in that. You know, well, maybe it doesn't belong on Hammond's track record, but he still signed off on it. That's the thing. Like, the, I uh, that's no, another. We don't, we don't need to. Yeah, we don't need to. I'm just, I'm just saying that so that all of those people who are listening. Those people, um, they're not kind of shouting it, shouting it into the air, opening the window. Marissa, at the ridge time. Can Rashad Vaughn shoot forty percent from the field and say thirty six percent from three this year? Is that in play? Does that sound likely to you? Well, I mean, he's had these. Does that sound likely to you? <laughs> I just want to know if he's going to, you know, double his free throw. I'm being real here. Throws. I want to know. Do you, I, I can't be real with a person that... You're, you mean no, then, is really, if you're not, like... Because there are a lot of people who really like Rashad Vaughn. We, we get tweets when we do things like this, and we talk about him, or we get tweets about, oh, well, why Vaughn should play instead of this guy. And every time I'm like, what, what guy should he play in front of? He, he shouldn't play in front of Gary Payton, too. Yeah. That's not do even close. Do. This is this is the worst player on the roster, and they'll have a seventeen man roster, and he'll still be the worst player on it, which will mean he ends up in Fox Valley. Probably. I just don't know what we're doing here. I just can't wrap my head around it. I I try quite hard to find well, what is it that everyone sees? I think it's just the hope of well, he's young, and if. If he did figure it out, he's a he's a good young player, but he doesn't do a lot to inspire confidence. No. Okay, so we're gonna have a little we're gonna have a little fun guessing game, Jordan. Mm. In the playoffs, where did Rashad Vaughn rank? In terms of offensive rating on the books, it's a small sample size, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the regular season. We're gonna start out at the playoffs. So, in terms of offensive rating, where did he rank? Right, well, I'm trying to remember who did not play. Obviously, we have Jabari, Gary Payton. Duh. I think that was it. Did everybody else play? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah. Uh, let's go 13th. So you're saying last? Yeah. No, you're second last. Oh, I'm actually going to go with that. John Henson, John Henson posted a worse net, or offensive writing, a net writing. Any guesses at what Rashad Vaughn's playoff offensive writing was? Well, I know he hit a three. How many minutes did he play? He played like probably three. Um, no, he played ten and a half minutes total. Good lord. 
Um, 77.9. Very close. 79.2. Um, that matched up with a defensive rating of 122.2 for a net rating of negative 43. Small sample size, I hear you say, though. So let's go to regular season. I want you... I, I'm not going to make you kind of guess on this one. I want you to name, over the course of the season, right? So this is all the players who played for the Bucks in the season. Six players posted an offensive rating below 100. Rashad Vaughn is one of them. Name the company he kept. So you've got five five guys. This is not an opportunity for a burger joke. Which five books other than Rashad Vaughn? Are we counting players oh, that they, may they have had there. temporary stays? This is everyone who played for the books in the season. So yes. Okay. This is well, the kind of Axel, company. Axel Tupin. Axel Tupin is right. Terence Jones. Correct. Terence Jones, just for the record. 46.6 of oh, rating. <laughs> three. Remember when people were clamoring for him to get playing thing? Good God. He, had, he had a great defensive rating. I'll have you know. 87.2. Stout. <laughs> uh, Miles Plumley. Correct. He was Matthew... actually better than Rashad Vaughn. Plumlee. Oh. Matthew Delavadova. No, Delhi had a 106 offensive rating. Ah. Uh. I have three so far. Three. We've got three. The other two finished the season as books, which is obvious, isn't it? Three. John Hanson. No. One hundred five point two. FM. After after these six guys in total. Oh, Gary Payton. Yep. Why am I forgetting the other person? I. Oh, Spencer Hans. Correct. Rashad Vaughn, 99.4. Miles Plumley led that group, if we could call it leading, at 99.5. After that, you jump up to 104.3 is the next worst, which is Steve oh Novak. And then you're at John Henson at 105.2. So those guys, and look, if we're being real, we take Chupan and Jones out. Anyway, maybe Peyton, you could justify because he played, played real minutes. Oh, Plumley played. 32 games of 10 minutes. I mean, last the season. Did he, did he play more minutes than Vaughn? No, but only about 120 minutes behind. Um, <sighs> beyond that, you're looking six points for 100 possessions is the difference. Defensive rating. Because, you know, this is what he does. This is what he's good at. 107. Net rating of minus 7.6, which is the worst on the team outside of <laughs> Axel Tupan, Terrence Jones, Gary Payton 2, and Spencer Hawes. What is there here? There's nothing here. Like, I don't even know if he should be in one of like the flex spots on the roster for the D-League. He should just be in the D-League. I heard you cannot spell Rashad Vaughn without Mirage. Because he keeps saying, what is even here? The answer, Ivan the answer to that is nothing. Nothing is here. I'm sorry, all of our Rashad Vaughn fans. If, so say, so say, if you went to a mall, a, a mall kiosk, and you know how they have, do you have malls in Ireland? 
Yeah, yeah, we don't call them that, but yeah, we do. Oh. Uh, do you call it a shopping center? Yes, we do. Is but the center is spelled centra. Well, it's spelled the proper way, yeah. Oh. The English English way, as opposed to. Well, I feel we're gonna get we're gonna get roped in something here, but. No, no, it's fine. But if you are looking at a kiosk and you know how they have that arrow pointing, it says you are here. Yeah. If Rashad Vaughn was looking at that arrow, it would say nothing is. <laughs> exactly. Or if let's let's just bring that analogy out further. If you were in the mall and you came to this diagram, which is effectively a look at the book's bench. It would have little signs for every player sits on the bench, and then it would come to Vaughn's and say, nothing is here. The only positive is that he's young. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, there are other people who are young. Um, and he's fun-loving, you know, Dave and Busters. I, I actually don't think that's the, a positive. Get the tickets. That's not a positive at this point. There's no benefit to that, because he's not putting the necessary work in. <laughs> It's kind of a point where, like, yeah, maybe if you're a little... Hey, you know, he knows how to dance in a locker room stall. What I what I will say, okay. He was going to stay with Jeff this summer. He said that was part of his plan. He was going to go stay with Jeff for a week, work out with Jeff. Um, he's going to do similar with Chris Middleton, seemingly. Let's just hope they manage to fix him in the space of, like, two weeks. He needs he needs a big summer of work, and I don't know. He just needs to get his head in the right kind of place for it. What I this is maybe kind of going into some stuff just a little bit too much, but we have we haven't spoken about this, and something that struck me was in his exit interviews. I was kind of particularly interested just to see what he was going to say about you know well. What's next? What are your goals? His goals are like so low. Which is just strange for a player. You know what I mean? Normally it's... You'll talk yourself up. This is an actual quote from Michelle Vaughn. I just felt this was kind of like, if this is what you're aiming to get out of a summer of hard work, that you want this to be the result. He said, I'll just go through the summer, try to get better, and come back to try to compete for some minutes. I mean, what are we doing here? Come back to try to compete for some minutes. Not even come back to compete for some minutes, come back to try to compete for some minutes. That's possibly being unfair, but that one just jumped out to me watching at the time. I was like, this is where you say... You know what, this time next year, I want to be a guy that my team can rely on the playoffs. And he's kind of coming in looking, being a third-year player, getting to the point where the team's really going to be like, uh, are we going to take up these options on this rookie contract? And you're talking about, as a first-round pick, I'm going to try to get better, come back, try to compete for some minutes. I don't know. There's there's no more to talk about on Rashad Vaughn. Until the mailbag. Uh, I noticed there was a lot of Rashad Vaughn questions in the mailbag. 
Maybe I'll be more. Are any of them about Dave and Buster's and fun? <laughs> no, they're more of the other kind of positive Rashomon questions. Let's move on to Chris Middleton. I guess, in some ways, the kind of central figure of the season, which sounds crazy because obviously that was Yanis in terms of what we saw. But if we're going to kind of set these touchstones for what the book season was you, it feels like you kind of start with Middleton's injury and you have the time he comes back as being the moment where things really kind of click they'd start to maybe just before that I think could be wrong on that might be might be misremembering that but clearly he was a really positive influence down the stretch late in the season Chris Middleton Played 29 games, ultimately, uh, 30.7 minutes per game. And as you'll remember, Jordan, as most people listening remember, he did kind of have his struggles coming back. And yet he still managed to contribute incredibly positively. Offensive rating 109.7, defensive rating of 104, net rating of 5.7, which I believe led the team. Yep. True shooting percentage of 57%, which... Highest in his career, Yeah, I was going to say, although Middleton is a great shooter and you'd hope that kind of down the line, maybe there's more there. That was a career high in terms of true shooting percentage. He also finished the season shooting 43.3% from three. Another career high. 88% from the free throw line, which is just below a career high. I really struggled to see what more we wanted out of Middleton coming back when we spent maybe one whole podcast of, at one stage and when things looked much more grim for the books generally debating, well, is there, should they really have any interest in having him come back this year? Is it not better to just make sure he's 100% healthy, go again next season? Was his play after that injury... One of the most impressive things he's done as a book yet. Just to kind of get that kind of production out of himself after that and help the team to look like a good team as opposed to the really bad team they were before the playoff or before, sorry, before the All Star break and before his return. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> we were thinking the Bucks were dead in the water in terms of competing for a playoff spot, making the playoffs in general, you know, mid-February, that that just brutal stretch. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden after he, you know, he had a kind of like a week, I want to say, where he kind of like, oh, like this is what he could kind of do to help him out, kind of even up the season a little bit. And then obviously they, you know, go on that incredible stretch. And even half of that stretch, like in March, like he wasn't, he was kind of going through his struggles. It was like the struggles that we kind of anticipated seeing when he first came back. Um, but yeah, I mean, to come back off an incredibly, you know, rare injury too. Like it, it's not every day you hear someone not, not just tearing their hamstring, but obviously tearing it completely off the bone and then coming back, you know, four months later, almost four and five months later, and you know, play as well as he did, have a, a you know incredible 
just the efficiency that he put up. And we're talking about a guy that he's already had a track record of being this very great shooter during his time with the Bucks, And to come back and do that even more, uh, it's just great. Obviously, we have to factor in the playoffs, too. He did not have a great shooting okay, series. Right. Yeah, but let's, let's but, pause there for a moment because let's go through those numbers. Right? He shot 39.7% from the field. Obviously, below 40% is not good. 36.8% from three is not Chris Middleton's standards. He's a 40% guy. You get most of your players shooting 37% from three. I mean, that doesn't kill you. Well, I was just going to say on this, I think it applies to in the season, it applies to after the season, um, as in the playoffs, I guess, after the season. What's happened to me, Jordan? I still haven't caught up on sleep. I think there's a lot of things that none of us like about Middleton's game. I mean the most ardent Middleton fans, as in his his preference for tough contested fadeaway twos or sometimes how he might just a little bit less so coming back from injury, but in the past he'd spend a little bit too much time trying to find space down the post and rather than going to make a quick move and it would end up again in a tough fadeaway turnovers have been an issue at times and you look at a lot of the numbers and on in kind of isolated instances they might flare up and really frustrate everyone but say the playoffs my memory of middleton the playoffs is that turnovers really kind of plagued them he almost had a three to one assist to turnover ratio which is better than any of the point guards on the team finished the regular season with, and they were among the best in the NBA in terms of assist-to-turnover ratio. He did a really good job of that. And it's still, it kind of, I can, yeah, I could say, okay, he had he had some issues with turnovers, but not quite to the extent that people think. Regular season, bigger issue, 3.4 assisted 2.2 turnovers. So that shows that was an area where he made big improvements. More assists, less turnovers in more minutes in the playoffs. That's great. I think Middleton is a really, really, really good player. He's not a great player and never will be a great player. He's just below that tier. I think, as a whole, Bucks fans can be guilty of Kind of picking out the flaws and not stopping for a moment and being like, well, okay, let's imagine he fixes those. If he fixes some of those flaws, I mean, (laughs) he's kind of this Kevin Durant light. Right? You know what I mean? He's not quite at that level, but you're talking about like a a definite all-star. If Middleton all of a sudden started making more of the tough shots or taking less of them and going towards more efficient shots if he reduced his turnovers. It's like, what is Chris Middleton then? Chris Middleton is phenomenal. And that's that's fine. I understand the idea of being like, well, if he just did that, look how good he'd be, look how good the books would be. There is kind of a point where it's difficult to do that, though. That'd be like saying, oh, you know, if... If Delhi could just beat everyone he faces up with off the dribble and get to the rim and score, the books would be books would still be in the playoffs. It's like, yeah, they would, and that's not fair to ever ask for that for Delhi because that's more than he is as a player. I feel there's an element of that with Middleton as well. I think Middleton has 
maximized what he gets out of his game. Look at what he did in college. Look at where he's got to in his time since in the NBA. Look at how consistent he is as a producer. This is maybe something that's more an issue that books fans will have to wrestle with of what that means they need from other guys. I think Chris Middleton is kind of close to the max of what he will be for the books. And they should be delighted with what that is because he is a really, really, really good player. He's just not in that top tier. I think that's fine. He shouldn't be considered there. But if books fans want to put him in there, you kind of mess around with expectations. I don't know. This is just something... I guess it comes up because there's always this kind of thing. It happened after he signed his contract, uh, which, I mean, that died down relatively quickly then and made the people who were doing that at the time look pretty, pretty stupid. But there seems to always be this thing with Middleton of, oh, well, you know, he doesn't do this, rather than saying, wow, look at the things he actually can do, does contribute to the team, considering where he was drafted what his range of abilities are overall. Do you kind of see where I'm going with that, or do you agree with that, or do you feel there are more gears and he could just kind of tweak certain elements of his game and he pushes the books over the edge and he's in the conversation for, like, top 20 player in the league? I feel he's just below that and always will be. He'll be, like, a top 50 player, maybe, but that would be it. Yeah, I mean, I I do agree. I think, I mean, he's probably topped out as what he is. Um, And we don't necessarily clump him into the young core that the Bucs have assembled, but he's still going to be 26 this year. I mean, that's, he does have a fair amount of miles at this stage, but that's still very young. I mean, that is the ape, like the prime years of, uh, uh, you know, a fine career for any basketball player. Um, and like you said, I think just the fact that, pardon the pun, but he has been found money for the Bucks in terms of where, how, when he was acquired, how he was acquired, what they had to give up for him, and what he's become, you know, over the four years now since. Like, I mean, he's far exceeded expectations He's 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 at that one hundred seventy two percent level. Sorry, I just had to bring that back. But uh, I mean, again, he, just the fact that he has become so well rounded of a player, and you know, again, I I know that it's I'm going to keep being this drum, but for, for being able to what he to do what he did coming back after a crazy injury and hit that, you know, kind of hit, find his groove relatively quickly and then taking on big minutes and then obviously having a lull after, you know, as the season went on. But, I mean, it's still – the things that he's capable of doing, it's pretty – it's it's nuts to think about where he even was, even when he broke out two years ago. I mean, he was not a – this creator at that time. And he was – because he was just basically kind of like – you know, after the the MCW Brandon Nitrate, he was like the only like consistent offensive player that they had at that time, and they had to you know look on him or have you know 
rely on him to kind of bail them out in close situations, these ugly games. And and sometimes it works. Obviously, you have like the Miami shot falling down and kind of say that would be that was like a rallying point in that season. And other times it didn't work. But I mean, you hope with the guys that you have around him, obviously with Giannis, maybe even Thon. Obviously, when Jabari comes comes back, and hopefully he, we're talking about Jabari, who he we thought or think he can be without this kind of the, you know, the, the new Jabari after his injuries. But that right there is a very good baseline to come to have at oh, this I mean, point in time. That's, that's incredible. It's kind of a point where if Jabari could come back and be even 80% of what people hoped Jabari could one time be, if Ton could become something approaching a star and then Middleton is your third or maybe sometimes your fourth option or like that's you win a championship. It's that simple. That's that's how good your team is. I think it's interesting when you go when you say to go back to two years ago when he kind of broke out and you look at the player he was. Like it was at that point that he was maybe at the end of that season. You can make a valid claim for him being maybe the best three and D guy in the NBA, and that's kind of if you're putting that kind of role and using three and D as a role player, that's kind of where he stood. I think the problem sort of. The problem may be from the perspective of books fans to an extent, and I think maybe the organization too comes in the following year your team is really bad and you need him to do so much more. And he kind of does it to a point where you're like, okay, well maybe he is a little bit more than that. And I think he is a little bit more than that. But where you're really going to be at your best is if Middleton is your 3 and D guy. I mean, if we, we talk about what Tony Snell got this year, if Middleton can be that guy, look at Danny Green. It's the second mention of the podcast for Danny Green, but I'm kind of, a lot of the time I watch the Spurs, I just end up in awe of how good Danny Green is. That's just how he'll always make the big shot, how he's so locked in defensively. Chris Middleton could do all of that if the kind of team is structured the right way around him, and more. He could be well, what if Danny Green could also kind of create for himself or a teammate when he needed it? I just think there's kind of an issue there of the books finding the right balance for what his role is, how you get the best out of him. And some of that's easy and some of it isn't. For example, if a bunch of elite shooters rolled up, not going to happen, not really remotely possible. But say, for example, in the summer, everyone decided, you know what, Yanis, I want to play with Yanis. And you had like Kyle Corver, JJ Reddick roll up on really cheap contracts to come play in Milwaukee. Basically, the sort of stuff you see happen with the Cavs. And you get those kind of guys on the floor, and you can have Middleton there, where all of a sudden he gets more space. Like, he is so, so good. I just think there's an element of he's better than. He's better than you kind of want any player that you pigeonhole into a role to be, if that makes sense. That you kind of look for something more, you justify a bigger role in the team. Like, I think the the idea of a book's big tree doesn't lose anything in terms of Middleton is more than worthy of that kind of placement, but there's still a certain kind of player that he is. I don't mean that yeah. in any kind of negative way. <laughs> it should be. A no, I, I agree completely. Because th- this mean, whole thing, like we, we talked about at multiple different positions, is kind of finding 
specific roles and roles that complement your style as a team. Middleton can be the best NBA player, best player in the NBA at his particular kind of skill set and role. He has all of the tools to do that. I mean, this is a guy who, 40% three-point shooter for his career. That's five seasons now. He's attempted over 1,000 trees. Like, this is not, no small sample size. He's one of the best shooters in the league. He's a 40% guy over that kind of period of time. And to, speaking from a Bucks perspective, I mean, he might be one of the best three-point shooters in team history Easily. at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Next year, what what are you expecting of Middleton? I guess this kind of comes into what I'm talking about. It's maybe difficult because he's not going to have Jabari there. He's There's still going to be a lot asked of Chris Middleton. I'm kind of of the opinion that he's probably going to be as good as ever, probably better. And the books will be very, very solid as a result, and they will kind of live and die as Chris Middleton goes. Um particularly at times when, say, Jabari is out. Well, certainly you think... I think first thing that comes to mind is just being healthy, uh, you know, being 100%. Obviously, <clears throat> talk about his injury, but even after or during the playoffs, you know, I, I think... Or, or uh, what was it? John Hammond's comment about Chris Middleton after the season was pretty illuminating, just, you know coming back on an injury like that and just seeing the toll of that because obviously you'll feel fine. And then once you get back into it where I mean, he almost played a thousand minutes this year. In, in 30 games? In 30 games. I mean, that's... games? Uh, eight, 889. 889. But still, I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's a big, that's a big leap for a guy, obviously, of a four months. Uh, you know, lay off and try to get back as soon as possible when he could. I mean, I'll so let, obviously, if we make it 35 games, we put the playoffs into it, he's over 1,100. There you go. So obviously being right is, uh, or 100% right is, <laughs> that made it sound like I was making a point, but 100% healthy, uh, certainly at the top of the list of just wanting to see him next year. But in terms of just like being like what he can grow on and, and stuff like that, I mean, it's just, I have, I have to agree with you. I mean, just can see him kind of not maximize, maximize is not the right word that I'm looking for, but just kind of more of the same, just kind of reinforce what he's, what he showed this year. I mean, the fact that he, as I said before, the, his game has become so, there's, it's, just so many dimensions to it at this point. And obviously, like you said, like role and whatever happens this summer will have some impact to a degree on what he will be relied on to do. But uh, I just think it's just more of the same. I mean, the fact it's when he, when we're talking about a player that can do the types of things Chris Mill can, can do. And obviously it's a different level to Giannis. Giannis has become this, incredible force of just it's that's in a different category but when you're talking about a player like chris middleton who it's not a very glamorous a lot of what he does isn't glamorous it's just to keep this kind of i don't know just again i keep saying it but this baseline of what he can bring 
And the fact that we could talk about with the shooting, we could talk about with creating at this point. He's a fine rebounder too. That that was another thing that kind of stood out coming back. Um, and maybe that is something positionally. He, you know, obviously logging more minutes at the three this year, that probably aided that. But and obviously his defensive qualities. Um, the fact that we can talk about this for a guy that, as I said before, he has been found money for them and. It's just that's incredibly key to have, especially when you're trying to, you know, lift, keep progressing to this point where we're talking about the Bucks as contenders a couple of years from now, which, you know, hopefully that can be the case. I was just kind of trying to figure out if if Middleton had played 82 games, which okay, 82 is a lot, but at, at the rate of minutes he played, and considering that. Early on, he wasn't playing heavy minutes. He was on minutes restrictions for a lot of that. But if he had played 82 games at the rate that he played minutes between the regular season and the playoffs, he would have been top 30 in the NBA in terms of total minutes and would have been ahead of guys like Kyrie Irving, Mello, Gordon Hayward, Sam Whiteside, Kawhi Leonard, Draymond Green, DeMarcus Cousins. You know, so even... (laughs) Even in terms of having had minutes restrictions early on, he sure kind of, they got their, again, this is a pun that Jordan has accidentally used a couple of times, but they got their money's worth out of Chris We move on to the mailbag? Let's. The first one from at illegal underscore screens. Do you think Dwayne Casey still dreams of Delhi? <laughs> I'd like to think so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he probably has more on his mind right now, but I'd like to think so. I forgot, yeah. The playoffs feel so long ago, they like really already. Do. I don't know what. They really do. It's weird. Uh, but yes, I would. I would think he does what was his quote what was the quote again why am i forgetting this quote <laughs> i'm not going to sleep thinking of matthew Dover, though yeah that's right i think was well, maybe it was it was it wasn't even worded as tightly as that because there was room for room for interpretation still but it was along those lines um the next one from alex underscore canning 023 since Ty is on so infrequently, excluding the playoffs, would you consider a name change for the podcast? How about timeout from Ty? Who's, mm. Ty? Who's Ty? Much like when Rashad Vaughn oh, looks good. at the mall kiosk. What a, it's a map. Is it kiosk? Kiosk is something else. Why do Yeah, a kiosk. Well, there might be a kiosk that houses the map. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, what does kiosk mean? It's like a stand. It's like uh, according to Webster's dictionary, like newspaper kiosks. A small open fronted hut or yeah. cubicle from which newspapers, refreshments, tickets, etc., are sold. No mention of a map. The banana stand is kind of like <sighs> a kiosk. That is true. And much like uh, Chris Middleton, there's. You can find money in the banana stand. stand, (laughs) I got Adam. That was a good one. Yeah, I got that. Um, (laughs) 
Alex, Alex has questions about Ty every week. Alex thinks that, is he here for me or you or not, Jordan? You know? What about us? What about Ty? What about us? Ty's are us instead of Jeffrey the giraffe. Remember? Oh, that's it. I was worried Jordan was going to break it to Michael Jackson there when I said, what about us? But All is oh. well that ends well. Um, Jamona. <laughs> from at Bulls Conf. Can we have Tony Snell back now that he can shoot? No. <laughs> well, they probably can, but they'd have to pay for it. So, you know, it's up to them. Um, I think the Bulls should take a look at themselves. When they go, oh, now that he can shoot. Hmm. Couldn't shoot when he was on those teams that are, you know, have always been designed for prime spacing, eh? So, yeah. If they were, if the Bulls were a man, they'd have to be looking at the man in the mirror. There you go. Gotcha. From, we did a long, long time ago, we had what turned into a Michael Jackson podcast. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah. Um, Andrew was here. I know. I think Ty might have been as well. Sure. That's sure. Alex great. was happy with that at the time. Um, from at Metastic. So. Paid our greatest hits. <laughs> Monte Morris in the second round. Question mark. Uh, Monte Morris was among the players to interview with the books. No, what is he? Uh, I I should. I think he said he's he's planning on scheduling a workout. workout Scheduled. That's correct. Um, I kind of like him. You said this to me the other day, and I guess I've learned a little since, and I'll be doing a lot more this week. Keep an eye on behindthebookpass.com for that. Uh, but I. I kind of like a lot of the second round players. You said this to me a week ago. And I was like, oh, really? Um, there are some interesting guys down there. There are. I think, I, I remember Eric Name said this last last year, and I was like, you know what? He's spot on. There's something about second round players that Bucks fans, and I, I classify myself as one, contrary to belief. But, uh, there is just something about second-round players that catch my eye more than kind of first-round. And I think the other factor in all this is the fact that where the Bucks are, it's the 17th, you're literally stuck in the middle. And it's just so fluid at this point. Like, like oh, yeah, I could, you know, take it and, you know, like, take this guy, like that guy, like that guy. But there's just something more about, like, that dis- like these players in the second round that distinguish themselves from me to me for whatever reason that I just kind of like, I like that guy. I don't think that's just, I don't think that's just a books fan thing. I'm kind of like that too. And I think that's because there's something very solid and somewhat tangible about second round guys, which leads to them having lesser draft stock is people be like, Oh no, you know, he is what he is. Yeah. Where there's something more relatable on a guy that has, you know, defined flaws for whatever reason it is kind of thing. And you're like, oh, I don't let, even let's think hope. It is to find flaws, though. I think I That's can mine. be, I can be kind of uncomfortable with the idea of you know. The first round is everyone looking for a star. Mm-hmm. Even if you're like a fifteen or a seventeen, where the books are, you're kind of swinging looking for a star. And we know John Hammond does that as much as anyone. But for most teams, and a lot of the time, that ends up pretty poorly. Second round, you're like, okay. Um, we need someone who can do this on our roster. I think fit maybe factors in a little bit more. 
and you're getting guys generally older guys maybe if they're not older guys they're guys who have had injury concerns or something that's had to fall a little bit but these are players who they're just more defined you've got a better shape of what they're supposed to be and how they should be able to contribute there's definitely something that appeals about that there's like right now um it's it's really it's a pity that last year was the year the books had two second round picks when you consider the extra roster spots and everything, and then they're not going to have a pick next year. Really, rather than cash considerations, what they should have done was flip that for a future second round with the Warriors. Like, I mean, the Warriors probably have a second round there next year. Why wouldn't they have swapped that for... You know, I, I think I understand the book's logic for uh, not wanting to bring two in at once, and I guess the way the roster ended up being and particularly with the injuries that makes sense but would have been nice to get another pick this year or one for next year to kind of replenish from at alex underscore counting zero two three if snell got the Plumley contract would that be a win i've seen two different reports one said 52 million four and the other said 50 and four which Brings us back to where we were earlier, where George was talking about 44 and 4, which is like stuff of fantasy. 44 on the floor, 4 on the floor, 4. Uh, to answer the question, it would not be a win if he was granted plumbly money. I mean, the fact that when you when you are when you say the phrase plumbly money, I mean that I shudder at the thought. My my spine goes cold. I oh. like the idea of rebranding it just though, because I mean, if they gave Snell Plumley money and Snell could continue to be good, maybe we could start calling it Snell money. Mm hmm. Yeah, you know, just for the next guy who comes along, where it's like, oh, will we pay him Snell money? Just for a positive word association, Jordan. I, I wouldn't. I think it's going to be that kind of range. I honestly do. I don't. I, I'm nervous enough about this that. I wouldn't be thrilled with four years, 52 million. Uh, but I don't think it's impossible that it could be worse than that. So I don't know. We'll see on that one. I, I was perfectly fine with the Plumlee contract when it happened because I thought he'd continue to. At least By the way, this is that. a, this is a side. I saw this. I saw the our, the Hornets site of fan-sided Swarm and Sting. They wrote something about this. Did you see Miles Plumley's quote about shooting? Did you gonna, see is this? He have you a heard of this? Point shooter or something? Is he? He is trying. I'm not. I have to look this up because I started laughing when I <laughs> read this thing. It was crazy. How about he gets healthy first and then gets in shape? Here we go, here we go, here we go. Miles Plumley looking to add a consistent outside shot this summer. This is the full quote. Uh, they must have just added a, a shooting coach or something. I think that's why this that's why it was I, he, he, I hope he's quite the shooting coach if you know that's they had a shooting coach. Oh, that guy's under some pressure. He just gets a new job. And then all of a sudden, there's an expectation that he's going to teach Miles Plumley how to shoot. This is a full quote. Bruce Kreutzer, 
I don't think I said that right. Is phenomenal with the shooting aspect of the game. I'm really excited to put in some work with him. I think he could be the le- the last piece of the puzzle for me. I was a great shooter in high school, and it kind of got away from me. I really think he can help add that element to my game. And now, I mean, shooting is just a general term. But I was thinking maybe, I mean, the way he was doing, uh, you know, dream shakes, maybe maybe Bruce Kruza could help him out with with <laughs> that. I kind of shoehorned that in there. But I just, I thought that was, I thought that was very ambitious of Monsieur Plumney. Yeah. Thankfully, that is someone else's problem and not ours. But Someone else's $52 million problem. <laughs> Let's make it Tony Snell money. Make us all feel better, except all of us, probably. Are you going to buy or Snell that term? There you go. Uh, from at Alex underscore Koenig 3 Now, I alluded to this earlier, but brace yourself. We've come to the Vaughn section of the mail. Mm. I don't know, was Alex doing this knowing that this was shooting guard week? If not, I'm... Well, that's a problem. So I'm going to give him the credit and say, you know, he just... He was trying to keep it on team. Could Vaughn play in the Summer League? Uh, (laughs) At this point, right? Let's Just at this point, let's stop for a moment. And let's... He's a third-year player, and we're like, could he play in Summer League? He needs to play in Summer League. And he needs to not be awful in Summer League like he was last year. Which, you know, that was... Or the year before. Yeah, well, that's one thing. But last year, that's kind of alarm bells. I remember Saul being like, yeah, you know, this is where Vaughn needs to... Vaughn needs to show, you know, got the experience. Just take over games. Control games. Uh, Who was it? Who was the guard? The small point guard... Like, I was just thinking of like the chuck up shots and really annoyed me. Was it is was it actually Rashad something as well? Rashad James? I was thinking that. Is that actually him? Yeah, because he had like insane hops. Insane hops, but he was really annoying for me. I just would get so angry because Are we gonna have Jerome Randall back? I liked Jerome Randall a lot. Me yeah. Rashad James, that is the name. Well Rashad James That also rhymed was taking all Don't of these shots and not place any place, not letting any real books take shots. But Vaughn was kind of just letting Rashad James take over. Like, what is the point of this? Who are you? What are you? Why are you here? It's the Rashad Vaughn story. Uh, yeah, he should play in summer league. It's rare for. By the way, did you play. see that he their should. team's already adding summer league players? I saw a few. The bu- remember the books did that last year with uh, yeah, but it wasn't May. It was you know fourteen. They did it with that guy who Ronald Roberts. Yes, Robert. but that was like June. I swear no, that was I don't June. Think so that was that wasn't long after the D League season ended last year. You're gonna be right now. I, I, it would be absurd if it was May, but it's it's still absurd if it's June. June twelfth. So it's a full month before where we stand right now. Pretty early, long. Before, still early. Long before the draft. We're talking about the season is still going on. Yeah. Not even the conference final. We have one conference finals in play right now, as we as we speak. 
That's insane. Yeah. It's it's also weird to do that before the draft because there'll be undrafted guys who you'll bring in. That's the whole point of it. Yeah. Very, very weird. Um kind of just just briefly to go into that. I wonder is that a big thing this year for the books? Will they do nothing? even in terms of major personnel decisions, even in terms of decision makers for the D-League team until they kind of let Summer League play out. Because you, this year, you got to think anyone they like on their Summer League roster is going to end up in Oshkosh. Yeah, I would I would assume that is some of some of what they do. It's exciting. That's a, that's a new element. Huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for all of that. Me too. Uh, from Alex underscore Kenny 023 again. Well, now wait for this one. Wait for this one, Jordan. If Vaughn turned into Snell, would that be a super <sighs> win? Already a decent defender. And super young compared to when Snell entered the league. I mean, if I'm Tony Snell, that's a low bow to me. Tony Snell went to New Mexico University. Yeah. The mascot did, of need, New Mexico. We didn't need the Lobos joke. Are the Lobos? Is the Lobos? Are the Lobos? Los Lobos? Uh, you would say is. On this side of the water, we would say are. Oh. We're back to center, Centra. We are. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a chain of con- convenience stores in Ireland that are called Centra. It's, oh, I thought you were going to say R or is. No. <laughs> <That's the day. laughs> called Centra, but with an A at the end. Because, I mean, let's be real. That would be Centra. I mean, I don't know what you're doing. That'd but be anyway. Centra to your discussion. If but uh, to answer the question. <laughs> that would be the ultimate win. That might be what turns you, just puts you over the edge. And it's never going to happen. That that would win that, that Raptor series, I'll tell you that. <laughs> because look, I'm not, not I'm not just being flippant. Like already a decent defender, which is the point you make, Alex, which most people would agree with. Not me, but I think nearly everyone else would. Mm. Tony Snell draws the toughest assignments every night. Rashad Vaughn is not getting the toughest assignment ever. Ever. Not even in Summer League. Rashad James would get the toughest assignment in Summer League. Or LeBron Nash, Julian Julian I like, Stone. I like LeBron Nash a lot. I hope. Me too. I hope he can get on the D League team. He was a he was a stud in China. Prince Ibe, I'm still holding out hope for you. eBay, that was it. eBay, He's... yeah, we had we had that one. But didn't where did he end up? Didn't I don't know. Hmm. He was one of your favorites in the late second round of last year's draft. That kind of area. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll have to move on from that question. Uh, Alex, again, this is like the the last in the triptych of Vaughn questions, I think. I'm assuming there's no more Vaughn questions in the mailbag. Is it actually Vaughn's fault we lost to Toronto for hitting those garbage time trees to tick them off? Uh, I was against those trees at the time. I don't think Jordan was on that podcast. I think it was it was definitely Ty because Ty was... Those trees were very on brand for Ty. Uh, they were very much in line with what he stood for. And I was like, yeah, I just don't know what the point of that is. But even I couldn't say that they 
they turned the series because that would just be putting too much importance on anything Rashad Vaughn did. <laughs> he only played two minutes and 46 seconds after that game. From Admano Skull. Which first round draft pick at 17 would fit for the books in terms of length? A lot of guys. Yeah, the, this is a very long class. The books are guaranteed someone long at 17. Yes. Yeah. I'm still at the point where I'm forming kind of opinions of favorites. But there's someone who I really, really like, and I just don't think it makes sense for the books, and that's a tough place to be, and I haven't been in this spot before. Hmm. I like Justin mm. Patton a lot. Mm. I can see Justin Patton becoming really, really good. I'll hold off on my thoughts. Just generally on that, though, because I was thinking of this the other day, and obviously we'll do all this very soon. I'm sure people will start asking us soon, when are we doing draft podcasts? Soon is the answer. We will be going into all of the draft stuff in great detail on the podcast. Where do you kind of stand on the idea of not necessarily just kind of fit versus best player available, but are these draft picks so important to the books now that they... I kind of feel like they have to go more best player available. And say, say we'll take the example. So say if that was a Justin Patton, and I was right, and he turned out to be something really good, and Tom turns out to be something really good, and you don't need both guys, but one of them is then a meaningful trade chip. Do the books kind of need to somewhat approach it like that because assets are going to be tin on the ground for them otherwise? Yeah, I would say generally they have to do that. Um, Even if someone doesn't necessarily, if there's not an obvious opening, but if they really believe someone's going to be good, they've got to kind of take the chance. And Hey, if he ends up the better of, say, two players, that's great. You trade the other guy or, you know, even if he's valuing, you could trade. I just, I'm trying to think, this goes back to the Snell stuff earlier in terms of what his contract then means. It's all then about maximizing all of the little things that you get elsewhere in your roster. I think this is one of these where at the very least you need your first round pick to be someone who is still an asset two years from now. Mm-hmm. Literally what Vaughn isn't is what you need your first round pick to be. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree completely. Anyone you'd like to single out as long player, um, kind of in in the seventeen range, which I know that is really tough. <laughs> Tony, I I promised last week I'd be working on this with soon. I didn't, but I will have it very soon. Maybe by the time this even posts. Uh, but last week uh, Donovan Mitchell came up, who is a long player who was mostly pegged to be in the books range. And in the space of a week, he has jumped up the boards. He's, I think, up to 12 in Draft Express. There were some people around Combine saying they wouldn't be surprised if he ended up top 10. That's kind of how fluid the middle section of this draft is right now. Anyone, though, is there someone for you in that kind of... The, the, the physical measurables... As they say. Yeah. Um, 
I, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, uh, I'm, so, I'm like I said before, it's such a fluid uh, range, and it just kind of there's just like a lot of guys that I I'm fine with. I don't think I, I at this point, you know, speaking of May 14th, that could honestly change a matter of two days after you watch like what this guy can do, kind of thing. But I am I will hold. My opinion. There, I'll admit, there are guys I like. There are guys I think I can make the books. Could at least be really good players, as I said. So maybe it's not always obvious fits. There are also guys I don't like. Um, just to give a hint on one of those, Ivan Rab, I want no part of. Yeah. Didn't want a part of him last year when he was projected to be like a top 10. Um, and I don't want anything of him at 17 this year either. The next question from at not gatherer. Will Jabari Parker be in the starting lineup of this books team at their peak? I think it's an interesting question. It's probably something we'll end up doing a much longer podcast on at some point. I think it's entirely possible that he is and it's entirely possible he isn't. And mm-hmm. It's not necessarily, you know, he could become this really great sixth man, and that wouldn't even be a problem saying that he wasn't. The books will have some things to sort out and to kind of figure out as time goes on, and they maybe have more. We don't know what they'll get out of drafts and who they might pick up along the way. My gut would be he will, but I'm not going to be surprised if he isn't. And again, that still doesn't mean that, you know, he's not still really important to the team or playing somewhere else. Yeah, I, I, I've, I feel, I know we had a podcast probably not long after his injury. It might have been actually the 100th now that I think about it, where I kind of, I was. It wasn't the 100. It was a little before that. It was actually, I think it was before his injury, Jordan. Uh, before his injury? It would have to be after. Because I definitely got, like, kind of, I don't know, it's been... I, We've had multiple, but maybe we're talking about difference. We had multiple Jabari podcasts. I was thinking of the, I think we called it the Great Jabari Parker Debate, which was... Oh, yeah. Uh, I think just not long before he got went down injured. One of our most listened to podcasts ever. Shows mm. Jabari, you know, turns the needle. But I've, I've, I've gone back, unlike my Mirza... Uh, Stan, even though I don't like that term, uh, my mirrors are standing. Uh, I've wavered, and I've I just it's at a weird point of trying to figure out what Jabari is at this point, especially too. I mean, we are we have no idea what we've only seen pictures of him be on the court and kind of doing kind of routine shooting drills and nothing more than that, but. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think it's I think it's a pure pure fifty fifty call at this point. It's it's completely theoretical because we don't know. I mean, I I have no doubts over Jabari's skill. Like if if the injury didn't happen and he was what he was, I don't. I'm not having this discussion. I'm, yeah, you know, a lot of books fans were already and would still be, but that wouldn't be the case for me. I'd be saying, of course he is. He's going to be one of the most important pieces, the second most important piece in all likelihood. 
Uh, with the injury, though, we just don't know what he'll be coming back. If he comes back as that again and can stay healthy, well, that same thing will apply. Maybe it all changes. Maybe his role's different. Maybe whatever. We'll see. Um, Kind of a follow-up to that. Literally a follow-up or apply to that question from at here for b-ball off of this tweet what is jabari's trade value i love jabari on offense but if he could be traded for solid three and d guard should it happen no uh, no absolutely I, not and his trade value is on the floor yeah because if the books don't know what he's going to be no one else has any idea and this is what well, maybe it was was it last week probably not um, during the playoffs, I think I might have done this. The books don't have a lot of easy shots to get a potential talent of Jabari's level again. They've got to write it out. They've got to write it out, and if it all doesn't come together for the books, they don't win a championship because Jabari's injuries derailed his career and he wasn't quite what they hoped he'd be, that will be how it played out. You know what I mean? That's that's what their destiny was with it. It's in building and becoming good, you only get so many shots to get kind of a top-level talent. Jabari was the guy the books went for with that pick, and with the injuries, his value isn't there to just be like, oh yeah, we'll kind of just leverage him in someone else who can fill that role. Books have got to trust in Jabari. I think if they moved on from Jabari, they'd be doing it for maybe less than 50 cents on the dollar, and they could regret it more than anything. It could be one of the most painful moments in Book's history if he came back to longer term, be the kind of score that he's shown glimpses of being and the Books just couldn't get over the edge in kind of terms of contention and they were watching him play elsewhere. That's as grim as it gets. Everyone needs to just chill out with everything. I think that's... <laughs> Seriously, it's it's in the moment and it's very difficult to do because how can <laughs> how can you as a fan look five years ahead and be like, oh, well, what does the team look like? What does the team need in five years? Every decision is being made in the now and it's just like some of these you could regret so much down the line, particularly in getting rid of guys. I'm not talking about Rashad Vaughn, just to be clear on that. Um, I, there'd be no regrets on that one. But Someone with Jabari's kind of pedigree, his potential, his skill, and his understanding of the game. If you give up on that, I don't know what you're giving up on it for. If the books want to trade Jabari, which they don't right now, but if that point comes, they need him to come back, come back really strong from his injury, and trade him pretty quickly after that. If he comes back really strong from his injury, why would they be trading him? So, everyone just stop and think about this for a minute. Why, why would any team trade for injured Jabari Parker? Why? The guy may never, like, he might play 20 games again ever. And if that's the case, that's Milwaukee's problem. So what other team is giving up something real? Thus completes Adam's plea for the... For... For this I want to chill out. <laughs> just chill out, everyone. I'm not normally that guy. Just being like, everyone, just chill out. But chill out, everyone. Be cool. Uh, 
from outside. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just there's this Will Ferrell <laughs> sketch on SNL where you, he's like, "Stop freaking out, man! Stop freaking like." Sorry, I I'm fine with it. I I'm with Will Ferrell. Cool out. That's what he says. From at Zach underscore Stratton twenty nine. What position do you see the books looking at most for the upcoming draft? Uh, well, the answer's easy on this because the position they should be looking at, there's no one there. Is this a Rashad Vaughn joke? No, I'm being serious. Oh. They like they should be looking for point guards, but I just don't think there's gonna be. Any oh yeah, yeah. I think it's wings. You just need really good wings. Combo guard, too. Combo guard. I mean, there was kind of. Malcolm Brogdon last year. I don't know. I don't know what combo guards are really in the range. You're more kind of two slash trees than one slash twos. Yeah, that's true. Combo wing? I believe they sell that I, at I Long John Silvers. Like, I think guys like uh, OG Ananobi and uh, Terrence Ferguson... I think their names we'll hear quite a lot of as the draft gets closer. Uh, and also, Hamadou Diallo? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not fully sure just on how. Well, one, we don't know if you have the Claire. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There was good buzz at the Combine. I think he might. Um, but, yeah, he'd be in the mix. And just, just to just, reiterate, just, I, just I said this on Twitter a couple of days ago. I do have a headline in mind. It's and awful. I... It is awful. I've heard it. It is awful. <laughs> Even by Jordan's standards, it is one of the worst jokes ever. No one would... If he's going to build this up, and let's say they actually draft him, six weeks from now, everyone is going to be so disappointed. It is an awful joke. But, that yeah. is what I'm expecting, and I will live with the consequences if I. <laughs> that's my last article for by the. <laughs> no, no, no! You're fine. You're welcome to stay. I know, I know, I know. I you just lose all your followers. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? That's a game I'm willing to play. For someone whose brand is bad jokes, I mean that that will be saying something as well for a joke to be that bad. Mm-hmm. The next one. From at David Dunn twenty one. Buckle up, Jordan. Those familiar with Books Twitter will be familiar with David on 21. Good friend of ours. Good friend of all Books Twitter. Mm-hmm. David on 21 has taken on an agenda of sorts recently. Don't know if any of you have noticed. Um, the, the man who used to rally against the people who took such stances against a certain books player. Taking stances against a certain books player. David Dunn21's first question, or I guess kind of part one. The books were poised to complete a truly legendary and historic home comeback in game six. And then Chris Middleton airballed a tree and turned the ball over on consecutive possessions under one minute. Are we ever going to talk about this, if even to excuse it? Or is there a vast media conspiracy to protect a nice guy? Let's talk about it, David on 21. I believe 
it was around the 50 second mark when Middleton turned over. And the Bucks were down seven at that point. Considering the way the game played out from there, it didn't really matter. The Bucks got back into that game because Middleton got fouled in a three pointer. He made all three free throws after these plays you're talking about. He then made a really great kick out pass to Jason Terry for a tree that tied the game late on. So the Bucks weren't in that game to begin with without Middleton. And even after his mistakes, they don't get back into it without Middleton. So did he have a couple of bad plays? Yeah, he did. Was the only one, won't be the last one. And by all accounts, he was about as sick as anyone can be with the flu in that game. And he played incredibly well. One of his best games of the playoffs which under the circumstances was really impressive. So there you go. We've talked about that one. And yeah, those horrible plays. He redeemed himself within like a minute from them. Literally within a minute. Less than a minute. So no, it doesn't really matter. We could go pick out anything. Like, I mean, that's that's no different to why don't we talk about Yanis not taking a tree and going for two at the end of the game? Because that would be absolutely ludicrous because the books aren't there without Giannis. It's like, it's just missing the point. I ain't say, Jordan. Are you gonna, you gonna make me go out my own on this? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> because, uh, yeah. <laughs> the next one from David on 21. Through 12 playoff games, Chris Middleton averages 15.2, 4.2, and 3.7 with 1.8 turnovers. And 39% from the field, 34% from three. There's never been a definitive Chris Middleton playoff game, yet where he gets hot and single handed. Sorry, there has never been a definitive Chris Middleton playoff game yet where he gets hot and single handedly tips the balance. Even if Giannis becomes consistently a top 10 player, are the books going to be significantly better next year without Jabari when Chris seems to be a third banana at best? He is a third banana. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, anyone making him do more of that's their own problem. He's a third banana. He's one of the best players of that type in the NBA, again. But ideally, he's a third banana. You can't be upset at being, you know, oh, he's the second option, we're doomed. Well, if your guy who's supposed to be the second option is injured and he has to step up, you can't do a whole lot about that. As for not having a definitive playoff game yet, we're talking about two years ago, half of that sample size comes on. Which those numbers aren't bad. His field goal percentage is bad by his standards. But I mean on the whole still. Pretty impactful for what he's supposed to be. I don't really see a problem with it. But we're judging him off two years ago on half of that. And then. The team he did that with. Not so great. This time out we want to say Jabari's not there. He's playing with two rookies in major roles who excelled. I mean. If we want to play the game of nitpicking players, we can nitpick every player on the roster. And how I know that is because we're nitpicking Chris Middleton. Like if that's if you want proof of how just there could be a case made for every player not kind of holding up there in the bargain or not being up to this or that. The fact that this kind of question can come out of a Chris Middleton. That's the proof. It's like I mean, you know, sometimes the the third banana you eat in a day. Sometimes it tastes better. 
you know, you're like, oh, that's like a banana. I didn't enjoy this banana as much as I thought I would. But then the third one comes in the clutch, like a, a, a passing out to Jet 3, and it ties up the game with how many seconds it was in that, you know, in that quarter. But sometimes, yeah, three bananas. The third one could be as fulfilling as you thought the second one would be. Am I right? There's always money in the banana stand. Exactly. I I look, I get the question, I just think it's completely unnecessary and doesn't doesn't mean anything because you're you're answering it yourself in that question, saying, Is he is he no more than a third banana at best? This was the big tree. This is what we talked about them as. I think Middleton is the problem again, already talked about this um in, in this episode, but he's better than most third options, which is kind of the curse because then he's asked to be kind of at a standard of really good second options or even first options for some teams. Like circumstances aren't. And we're talking about, we're talking about if you look at the context of both playoff runs, they're both without, without Jabari and they're both with players that have had uh, middling impacts. If that makes sense, yeah. I mean, like we're not talking about like the I mean, context of. Even though, sorry, you can get back on that one in a second. But just to add, the first playoff run isn't just without Jabari. It's not with this Yanis that we're talking about. Like, look, look at what Middleton. With, it's not even with. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, look yeah. at what Middleton had to do in that playoff run in terms of what he had around him on that team. So taking Middleton's playoff numbers and going look at his playoff numbers overall, that doesn't really. Really do anything for me. No. Plus he was twenty three, and I mean, you know, that's young. Everyone likes young, you know. That's why we keep hope in Rashad Vaughn. So better equipped this time. He played better. Played better. Only a few months off a really bad injury. Sick at the end of it. I don't. I don't know what we can ask of him. You know what, Jordan? Mm-hmm. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week to talk about forwards. Um, I won't say small forwards or power forwards because that's messy business. Uh, so it could just be all forwards. Maybe it will be one or the other. I don't know. You don't need to worry about it. Just chill out, everyone. <laughs> we'll figure it out as the week goes on. In the meantime, check out all of our work at BehindTheBookPass.com. Draft coverage is really ramping up. Um, I am going to have I'm going to say it. I'm going to go out and say it. A lot of draft profiles this week. Mm. Um, our first big board posted a couple of days ago. Lucas Harkins had that. And kind of a sneak preview for those of you listening. And to by the big podcast. board, we're not talking about we're not talking about a board with the movie Big and Tom Hanks on it. We're talking about a draft board. Th- one through thirty. I'm I'm not talking about the big yellow We're not bird. talking about a guy the big yellow bird from piano. Sesame Street in an Irish accent theater. Um, before I was really interrupted, there's also, for you podcast listeners, you're ahead of the game. We will have our first mock draft of the With Jay Reinhold. Coming, uh, I think it's Wednesday. What day is the lottery? Tuesday, Jordan? It is, yes it is. Mock draft on Wednesday. Heard it here first. Jay Reinhold.
Uh, workouts sound like they're going to be in full flow for the books this week too. So if you want to keep Monday. on, yeah, if you want to keep on top of everyone who works out for the books this week, we'll have that. If not on the day, the following day, I run through all of the guys who are working out. Which, if you've been following so far, boy oh boy, what an exciting, eclectic mix of people you've never heard of and never will hear of again. So more of that to look forward to. For the podcast, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter too, at Behind the Books. And we will be back next week as usual. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.